Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Welcome to Outreach Church this morning. Happy Easter. Yeah. Gosh, what an amazing, what an amazing day. I mean, you know, the truth is that every single day we can celebrate the risen King. You know, every single day we wake up in the morning, His mercies are new, His promises are true, that He is who He's... That's the greatest thing about Easter. It's like the, the, the proof, if you ever anyone needed, that He is who He said He is. It's like He was telling the disciples, remember when Lazarus died? And He said, Lazarus is asleep. And He said, well, if he's sleeping, then just wake him up. He said, no, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that He is. And I've always been puzzled by that. Why did he say, I'm glad for your sake, that Lazarus has died, that he's not just sleeping? And why did it say that, that Jesus, when he heard the news that Lazarus was sick, because he loved him, he stayed two more days? And I'm wondering, why is it that he took this time? And, and why did he say, and I was realizing this, that there would be a day coming where they would have to believe that he really was dead, but they would have to believe that death is not the end. And he said, I'm glad for your sake. Why? He was letting them know, listen, it doesn't matter how many days somebody's been in a tomb. It's not over. It's not finished. And if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. That's what he told Martha. He said, Martha, didn't I tell you if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? It didn't matter that it had been three days and the sun was setting on the third day and they still hadn't seen Jesus and they're starting the fourth day. Mary said, he's been four days already in the tomb. And Jesus said to the disciples, I'm glad for your sake that he's dead. Why? Because he wanted them to understand that death is not the end and that it does not matter how many days I've been in that tomb. If you believe, you see the glory of God. He's just always doing all these things. I mean, I bet the disciples, when they, um, when they finally came to an understanding of who he was, they looked back on all these little things that Jesus said and all these moments and these things that at the time, I mean, like at that time, can you imagine they probably were thinking, why does he say it's, he's glad for our sakes that Lazarus is dead? What does Lazarus being dead have to do with us? And then one day it would dawn on them. He wanted us to learn something. He wanted us to understand that it doesn't matter how many days a body's been in the grave. When God speaks, it comes forth and there's new life. He wanted us to know it doesn't matter how many years you've spent someplace that's dark, in a grave, in a tomb somewhere, feeling like it's hopeless with people around you saying, it's too late, the body already stinks. He wanted you to know it doesn't matter. One word, Lazarus, come forth. All it takes is God's voice coming and piercing and calling you forth and you step out of that tomb and it does not matter how many days you've been in there, how many years, how many months. Listen to me. If there's anybody here this morning that thinks, you know it's been too long. Like I, I heard this, this gospel when I was a kid and I, I said a prayer but I've, I've walked away or I've done this or I've done that. I, I, you know, it's just been too long and, and I've said too many times. I've said too many things. That doesn't faze him in the least. He does not care. He is not, he's not like you and he's not like me. He's better than us. And he's not saying, I've heard this before. Because he's love and love hopes all things and believes all things. I just want you to know that. Like, and I feel this morning, I just want to share a little bit. Um, I've got so many things inside I want to share. Um, I know, imagine that, right? I'm stirred up on Easter. It's hard for you guys to imagine, but I am. <laughs> um, 
Let's see. All right, well, I, wanna, I do want to talk about a couple things, and, uh, and then I want to get to something I'm really, what would you see? Let's pray. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Lord, you know. That's a great prayer anytime. You know, it's a great prayer anytime. That's the answer to any question that anyone's asking, right? It's like, oh, Lord, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He's thinking, oh, Lord, <laughs> you know. That's a good answer. Don't feel like you have to have an answer for everything all the time. Sometimes it's okay to say, I'm not sure, but I know the one who is. Like, I don't know. God hasn't shown me that yet, so I'm not going to try to speak into something that he hasn't given me the words for. But I do know this. It's good. It's better than we know. And if it looks bad, it's because we haven't seen the actual end. Because nothing that is bad has come to the end. Because all things work together for our good. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So if it looks bad, it's just not the end. Simple. Right? Like, if it looks bad, if it looks dark, if it looks hopeless, it's just not the end. Morning's coming. Maybe it's the second day, right? Now, like, the second day, the disciples are like, all right, he said he was going to do this. He said he was going to rebuild the temple in three days. He said he was going to be, you know, he was supposed to be this, he was supposed to be that. It's, it's probably just time to go back to fishing. I guess, I don't know. And, 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 and like, who would blame them? Because they had this idea of what it looked like for the Messiah to come, and He came, and He looked like everything they thought, and then the end came, and it was bad. And if you're facing something in your life where things seem like they were going so well, and everything was lining up, and then all of a sudden you run into something bad, just realize it's not the end. And you're in a perfect place for the voice of God to break into where you are and call you forth and for new life to spring up in you. So God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for Easter Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection of our King, Jesus. We thank you, God, that, that He's not dead. <laughs> that He's very much alive and He's seated at your right hand and we're seated with Him in heavenly places. And that He's coming back for us. But in the meantime, He left us here and said it was better that He went. And not just better for us, God, because He came for the love of the world. So Jesus, when You said that, You meant that it was better not only for us, but it was better for the world that You go. Help us to understand how that's true. Help us to live in a way that proves that You are right because You are. Help us to understand that in Jesus' name. Amen. You realize that it says that for God so loved the world, He sent His Son. So Jesus came because of the love of the world. So anything that He said like that to the disciples, He wasn't just saying for their sake. It wasn't like, oh, it's better for you only, you twelve only that I go, because then you'll get the Holy Spirit and you'll have these magical powers. That's not what He was saying. He was saying, it's better that I go because then the Holy Spirit comes. Because if I'm here, there's one of me. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet because He doesn't come until I leave. And so if I'm here, there's one of me. But if I go, the Father will send forth the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the lead you and guide you into all truth. And every one of you will be filled with the same power that raised me from the dead. And it'll be better that I go because instead of there being one of me, there will be hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands and eventually millions and billions of you that are roaming the earth with the resurrected power of me living inside of you with the Holy Spirit of God. 
That's what he was saying. He's not just saying, look, guys, it's better for you because you'll be able to do parlor tricks. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, it's better for everyone that I go. Why? Because he believed that you would live the life that he called you to live. Because he's banking on the resurrected power of Jesus alive inside of you doing what the, the life of Jesus always does. And that's bringing things to life and transforming them. And your life is proof that he was right. Your life lived is proof that it was better that he went. Because when they see you, when they hear you, when they know you, they get to see and hear and know the Jesus that lives inside of you. It's like Paul standing there saying, follow me as I follow Christ. That, that he said, I'm following him so closely that if you follow me, you'll end up where I'm going. You'll look like Him and you'll act like Him and you'll talk like Him because I look like and act like and talk like Him. What I believe will change your life if you're just following. And that's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, if any man would, li- would, would wish to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If any man would be born again. And what was He saying? He said, listen, everywhere that I'm going, you have to go. And everything that I do, you're going to have to do. And so, on the day that He's to be crucified they bring him before the court they bring him before Pilate and Pilate looks at him and questions him and says I find no fault with this man there's nothing wrong with him and they're so blinded by hatred that they can't see him for who he is even though Pilate can see he's not the man that you guys are accusing him of and I believe we'll see Pilate in heaven I know some people don't, I mean, it's neither here nor there, right? But I believe we will because I believe he recognized that Jesus truly was the King of the Jews. Because when he wrote on Jesus' marker that they would put on the cross, they would put their crime on the cross so that people that walked by could know why they had been hung, he said, Jesus, King of the Jews. Not he said he was. See, that's the problem the Jews had with him is that he said he was the King of the Jews, but he really wasn't. And when Pilate wrote that, they said, don't say that, right? He said he was the King of the Jews. And Pilate said what? I've written what I've written. I'm not changing it. Why? Because Pilate looked at him and said, he is the king of the Jews. And they hung it above him and it drove them nuts because even in death, the cross was screaming that Jesus really was who he said he was. (laughs) We have no idea. They bring him there before Pilate. Pilate says that, but Pilate also is connected to a political system and wants to keep unrest down in his part of the kingdom and doesn't want reports getting back that the Jewish people are going crazy under his watch and that he can't control them. And, you know, he's a politically motivated man. His wife comes to him and says, listen to me, you have nothing to do with this man. Pilate says, okay. And I know that Pilate was probably thinking, I found my way out. I give them somebody. I will bring him on stage with the worst person. I believe Barabbas was the very worst. Because remember, he was hung next to a thief. So there was a thief there he could have brought out and asked, who would you rather me release, 
the thief were Jesus, and they would have probably said the thief because he was guilty of a lesser crime. But I believe Pilate was still looking for a way out, and so he found the absolute worst, a murderer, knowing that the families of the men that he had murdered would be there in the crowd, and that if he offered Barabbas, there was a chance they would say, don't let Barabbas loose, let Jesus loose. Because Pilate's trying to find a way out of this. He doesn't want his blood on his hands. Because I believe he's seen that he really is the king of the Jews. And so he looks around and says, let me find the worst of the worst. Not the thief. Let me find someone who when I bring him out, they'll be forced to say, okay, he may have said he's the son of God, but he didn't kill my father, my brother, my sister, my husband, my son whatever the case was. He may have said he's some crazy things. He might have claimed to be some crazy things, but he's not a murderer like this man. Let Jesus go. I believe that's what Pilate wanted. I believe that the enemy wanted Barabbas brought out there because it would be the most tempting for Jesus to look over at this man and say, I can't believe they want me to die instead of him. Because see, up until the very end, He is trying to get Jesus to think for himself and to be selfish and to take the bait and to become offended and to lose sight of who people are because of who they're not being in the moment. It's why the last thing said to him is what? The very first thing that was said to him after he's anointed by God. If you are the Son. If you're the Son of God, tell these rocks to become bread. What's the last thing they say to him? If you're the Son of God, take yourself down from this throne. Why? Because the whole time Jesus is on earth, there's a war against his mind to try to get him to act out in a way that was self-protecting and self-preserving and to take the bait and eat the apple that Adam ate, that Eve ate. And Jesus, until the very end, wouldn't. And you notice through his life, it says, and the devil left him alone. Remember when he tempts him in the wilderness three times? He says, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God. It's the biggest temptation that there ever has been. It's to believe that something God said about you isn't true. And that you have to do something selfish to prove it or that you have to take matters into your own hands because something God said wasn't true. If you are the Son of God. And it says, and after Jesus defeats him three times, it says, and Satan left him alone for an opportune time. What does he mean? He's waiting for a time when he feels like once again Jesus is weak. He thought Jesus was weak because he sees that he's physically weak. After 40 days of no food and no water, the enemy always comes when he thinks you're at your weakest moment. And so he says, and it says after that time, he left him alone for an opportune time. What was the opportune time? He was looking for a time when he thought that Jesus would be tempted to take the bait, eat the fruit, and disbelieve something that God had said about him and prove something to the world. Jesus had nothing to prove. And so that Barabbas gets brought up on stage and Pilate, here's his chance, right? I can finally be free of this man's blood. I can walk away from this thing and know that I had nothing to do with him being killed. Who would you rather me release? This man Jesus or the murderer Barabbas? And the crowd, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. We'd rather him go free than this man. At this point, Pilate's probably thinking, all right, there's, I don't know what else to do. And he hands Jesus over.
And Jesus goes to the place where they would beat people, right? And I'm not going to, you know, we, we've, we've probably all thought about it a bunch of times this week, but they, they beat him 40 times minus one, right? 40 times was how many times they technically thought it would kill somebody, so they backed off one because they didn't want them to die. They just wanted them to come as close to death as a human could. And I'm sure the enemy thought this is a pretty opportune time. And so moving on men like he does, he influences at least one of them to punch him in the face, rip his beard out, and say, if you're a prophet, prophesy. Who punched you? Thinking maybe for sure Jesus now would respond. Why? Because any other person put in that position who really was innocent, who watched Barabbas be hauled off and set free in spite of the fact that he had done nothing. Listen, Barabbas had taken lives. Jesus had given them back. Barabbas took the life of men. Jesus gave life back to men. He called Lazarus out of a grave. Barabbas sent men to a grave. And you know the enemy was reminding him of this. They want someone who's killed people and you've done nothing but give them life back. And he gets punched in the face and you hear a mocking voice say, hey prophet, who punched you? The enemy thinks it's an opportune time. He thinks he'll self-defend, he'll self-preserve. He'll snap, he won't go through with it. If I can make these people act horrible enough, if they can do enough to him, he'll reach his point of breaking. You realize he thinks the same thing about you and me? He hears what comes from your mouth on Sunday morning when we're worshiping God and talking about laying our lives down and trusting our lives into his hands, but he doesn't believe you. He thinks if I just push him hard enough, I'll find the place of him breaking and he'll sell out everything that he claims to be true for the sake of preserving and defending himself. It's why you get attacked by people. It's why those things happen to you. It's because he's a liar from the beginning. When he lies, he speaks his own native tongue. He doesn't believe a word he says, and he certainly doesn't believe a word you say, so he pushes and pushes and pushes to try to get you to a place where you'll snap at people, defend yourself, and act selfishly in the interest of yourself rather than laying your life down for other people. And he's trying everything he can to get Jesus to reach that point because if he can get Jesus to just take one bite of that apple, all is lost. So they beat him. They spit on him. They hurl instarts on him. And they curse him. And they don't understand that the whole time they're doing that, they're giving to Jesus what we deserve. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, God laid out the promise of blessing and cursing for his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God was speaking to his people and he was telling them what would happen if they obeyed and then he promised what would happen if they didn't obey. And one of the things that he says there in the book of Deuteronomy is this. He says, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And remember just a few days earlier, Jesus comes into the city and they shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's blessed as he comes. They line the streets with jackets, palm leaves, and they, with their mouths, they bless him and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why? Because the promise was if you were obedient, blessed you would be as you come. But something happens in the time from when he walks into the city and the time when he limps out of the city carrying a cross 
Because it says, and as he went, they hurled curses upon him. Why? Because the promise for disobedience was what? That you would be cursed as you go. That you wouldn't be blessed as you come and blessed as you go. That the curse of sin would be upon you. And so Jesus comes into the city blessed because up to that point, He's sinless, He's spotless, He's without fault, without blemish, and He is perfectly obedient. And even in His perfect obedience, He allows your sin and my sin to be placed upon Him. And when He becomes the sin of the world, the curses that were due to you and to I are placed upon Him. And Jesus understands one thing. There's only one way to be set free from this curse and from this punishment and from this, this uh, 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 sentence that I've been sentenced to. And he understands there's only one way to be free from this and he's heading to the way to be free. He's going to go and he's going to die. And as he goes, he's cursed. And the people don't understand that as they're doing this, they're fulfilling prophecy. And you realize the curses they're shouting with their mouths are the curses that belonged upon you and I. That everything they said of Him was supposed to be said to you and I. That every tongue that raised itself up in judgment of Him was actually raising itself up in judgment of you and I. Because the only reason He took that was because He had taken my sin and your sin upon Himself. And rather than being blessed as He went, He was cursed. Why? So that you and I wouldn't have to be. And He knew the answer for Him is the same answer for us. Listen, if it was the answer for Jesus for every single thing in life, everything, everything, listen, you have never had placed upon you what Jesus had placed upon Him. I promise you. And Jesus Himself, who actually was born perfect, fathered by the Holy Spirit, not born into Adam like all of us were, but born actually into perfection and chose to become perfect cursed on our behalf chose to become sinful on our behalf if the answer for him was to go to a cross and die so that he could be resurrected to newness of life i promise you the answer for everything in our lives is to go to a cross and die so that we can be resurrected to newness of life you can't be fixed you can't You can't be fixed. I couldn't be fixed. That's why if there's anything that's been preached to you is the Gospel that doesn't include dying and being resurrected, a new creation in Christ, it's a false Gospel. Because in order for us to celebrate the risen King, there had to be the reality of death. See, even the fact that Jesus could die demonstrated the goodness of the Father. Because it said now, now with, with sin, death entered into the world. But it was the Father who let death come into the world through sin. Why? Because He didn't want us to live in a forever unregenerated state, forever separated from Him, and forever unable to come back into relationship with Him and to be born again into the play, way that He intended us to be to begin with. So He made a way. Why? Because if there's no way for a man to die, there's no way for Christ to come as a man and die. And we look at that and we think, man, if Adam hadn't sinned, we could have just lived forever. Well, that's true. Well, if God hadn't allowed death to come into the world, we could have lived forever. You wouldn't want to live forever unregenerated and and separated from the Father. It was the goodness of God that allowed death to enter with sin so that a way could be made so that those who are in Christ, though they sleep, they never die. 
everything is his goodness we have no idea we look at all these different things i mean from the beginning of time it's promised before the foundation of the earth the lamb is slain in other words long before god formed the earth he saw the day that jesus would have to give his life and that jesus would lay his life down for us and sometimes i think we have this idea that jesus loves me and the holy spirit leads me and god tolerates me listen to me it was because he loved you that he sent his son jesus himself declared it john three sixteen. for god so loved the world world he gave his son because god loved you he sent his son not so that he could but because he did and he sent his son to die why so that he could give us an example of the way to become a new creation and be risen to newness of life in him and the answer for every single curse that was placed upon him you don't have curses on you if you're born again in christ and if you believe that you do you're empowering a lie and it will wreak havoc in your life Listen to me, do not leave here today thinking that you have a curse on you because of sins from generations above, ever. And if you do, get born again before you leave here so that you never again have to walk in a curse. Because Jesus became the curse of the law on our behalf, for it is written, cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. That lie has been empowered in the church for so long, and we sell books about it. And I, listen, I'm not angry at the people who are perpetuating it. I'm angry at what it causes because you have a bunch of people running around thinking they're cursed and thinking that they need to go here and learn this. And if there's this truth, and if I can go here and have this person pray for me. No, you just need to die. Because Jesus showed us the way. Jesus, if any man was capable of being fixed, it should have been him because he started perfect. If any man could be restored to perfection apart from death, it would be Jesus because He's the only one who actually started perfect. And even He had to die. I started in sin. David said, in sin I was conceived. You started. You were born the first time into the first Adam, into sin. You started out sinful. You started out imperfect. You can't be restored to perfection. You have to die so that you can be raised new, perfect. What was has to pass away so that everything can become new. Why? Because if you don't do that, you are still under the curse, you're still under the law, and there is no way that you can ever have what Jesus gave His life for you to have unless you actually die so that you can be resurrected, a new creation in Christ. Any gospel that teaches self-help, and you can't help yourself, you didn't get yourself there. You were born that way. You have to die to become new. And so Jesus grabs the cross and he understands the way to get rid of and the way to be free from all this that's placed upon me is to go up that hill and let them nail me to a cross and to die so that I can be raised again to newness of life. That's the only way to be set free from all of this that's been placed upon me. And he took every bit of it upon him and he carried his cross up a hill. And I love the fact that he was actually humble enough to allow another man to help him carry the cross. He didn't need Simon to carry the cross. He allowed him to. Why? Because he's giving you and I an example. It's okay every now and then for someone to come along and help you bear your burden. If Jesus let someone do it, maybe you and I should too. We become so strong and so independent that we think it's weakness to allow somebody else to share our burden with us. Well, I don't need you to pray for me. I, I get what you're saying, but here's the point. If Jesus allowed another man to carry the cross with him, I promise you it's okay for you and I to let someone come along and help us bear our burdens. Because he'd never ask us to do something he wasn't willing to do himself first. 
And so even in this, even in this carrying this cross, he's giving us an example to follow. But the ultimate example he's giving us to follow is this. If you want to be free from all these things that have been placed upon you, there's one way to freedom, and it's death. So they take him and they place him on a cross. And they think that this is it, right? Like, this is the last straw. This will really get him. So instead of tying his hands, let's nail him. We're going to nail his hands. Why? Well, because there's two hands. We're going to nail his feet. Why? Because there's a set of feet. Why? Because they're thinking, we'll do one, and then he won't want us to do the other. Because it's one thing to allow something to happen once because you don't understand the pain of what you're going to go through. It's why it's amazing to me, and it's got to be the grace of God that women go through childbirth over and over again. Because after they go through it the first time, you would think they would say, there's no way I'm doing that again. (laughs) I'm being serious. And I think the devil was thinking, because he's still scheming, And he knows. He thinks, if I can just get him to to act selfishly, if I could just do something bad enough to him, he'll act in his own self-interest. And I'll have him, and I'll have everybody that ever was and ever is born. So, they lay, and I, I, I just know, I wasn't there, but I know they didn't do them both at the same time. They did them one at a time. They lay one hand out, they press the steel into it, and they start beating it. And I don't think they just did it in one swing. I'm guessing, I know, I, I, listen, but listen, I, this is what we need to understand this. Like, we need to understand, because Peter said, consider Jesus who gave us an example that when he was reviled, he didn't speak back against it. When he was abused, he offered himself up. We have to understand that, like he said, that Jesus gave us this example. In other words, there's something in this that we can follow. So just slowly, right? Just going in a little bit each time until it hits the wood. And then every time it hits the wood, it jars his hand and it's shaking. You know what I mean? It's not pleasant. One. And then the other. And now he knows what's coming. See, it was one thing the first time they put his hand out. He'd never experienced that before in his life. But now he knows what's coming. And as they slowly stretch his hand out and slowly start to press the next nail in, he understands what it's going to cost him to keep his mouth shut and to, like a lamb led before the slaughter, not offer up any defense. He understands now the cost that he's about to pay. And then comes the other hand. Now there's two hands. And as bad as those hurt, your hand's pretty soft, it's pretty thin. Now come the feet. And take both feet and overlap them, so now you've got about that much to go through. Why? Because they just want him to do what every one of us has done at some point in our lives. And look out at people that are hurting us and say, they're not worth it. And the enemy thinks if he can hurt you badly enough that you will deny the example of Jesus, and you'll follow the example of Adam, and you'll look at somebody and you'll say, they're just not worth the pain. So they overlap his feet. 
They don't even know what they're doing. They overlap his feet. And this would be a, a big nail, right? Like, you could probably use one that big or so on the, on the hands. But for the feet, it'd be a big one. And they pull that big one out and strip the dust off of it. And they put his feet together, place that steel on his foot, the iron on his foot. And they just start tapping away. With every strike, there's demons whispering in his ear. You know they were. Then the demonic realm was there. This was their big day. They were all gathered. I promise you, there was probably not another demon in another location on earth. It was probably so thick looking at the demonic realm that you couldn't see. And they were all there swirling around because this is their day. This is their triumphant day. And Lucifer himself is there. And maybe it was him himself that was speaking to Jesus. And you know what they had to be saying. Look around. Do you see any of your friends? You raised their dead. Hey, see that guy over there? You see that guy right there? That's the one whose daughter you healed. See that lady over there? You raised her son back to life. Remember that guy that punched you and asked you to guess who it was? Guess who that was? That was one of the people that was the first to get food when you multiplied the food. And that guy over there, and this is how they repay you, and you don't have to go through this, and it's going to be horrible. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. It's not worth it. And he just doesn't say anything. Because it was already settled in his mind before the first stake was driven that we were worth it. That you were worth it. His mind was completely made up. And that's why it says, for the joy set before him, not because the cross was joyful, but because he saw the day that you would receive what he was paying for and become a new creation and be reunited, not just for heaven one day, but that heaven itself would come back inside of you and the Holy Spirit of God would take up residence in you and the enemy would regret the day that he ever touched you because if he would have just left you alone you might have just lived a happy peaceful life but he couldn't leave well enough alone it's just like Jesus he just couldn't leave well enough alone if he would have been smart he would have just let Jesus roam the earth forever and just be this guy listen nobody believed him before he was dead very few it's not like he was converting the entire earth he would raise people from the dead and then they would leave if he said something they didn't like. He'd multiply food and then they'd leave the second he said something they didn't like. They would call him the king and then he'd say, you guys are doing this or you're doing that and they would want to kill him. It wasn't like the earth was being converted at an alarming rate. People didn't believe even those who saw with their eyes. He walks in his own hometown after performing all these miracles and he speaks all this wisdom and they look at him and say... We know him. He's the carpenter's son. Aren't his brothers and sisters here? In other words, he's just a human. He can't be God. He would have just left him alone. But he can't just leave things alone. He could have just left you alone. 
He could have just left you be kind of addicted and lead a kind of normal life, but he wanted to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. And he finally pushed you to that place where you had nowhere left to go. And he didn't realize that by pushing you to the edge of the cliff that you would stand there and willingly jump off and die and allow your life to be raised again with Christ. But Jesus saw that day. So as they're putting that stake through the feet... The enemy's waiting at any moment thinking, all right, it's coming. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Come on. Look. Look at them all. Look at them all. These are the ones you're dying for. They're all, your friends are gone. They've all scattered. I see John over there, and he's too chicken to even say that he knows who you are. Even the one who's here has abandoned you. He's just like the rest of them. He's just as bad as the rest of them. He might as well be putting the nails through your feet because he's standing here watching them do it. And he's not even doing anything. Some friend he is. You're going to give your life for him? Remember Peter? Three times already he said he doesn't even know who you are. Three times. One day. Come on. They're not worth it. Are you kidding me? Just say the word. Just bow your knee. Just give in a little. I'll make all this stop. I'll put you on that throne over there. You can have all these people that were doing this beaten. I'll give you the power. I'll give you all the kingdoms that I should. Remember when we were on top of the temple and I said, this is all mine and I'll give this to you if you just bow your knee. That offer is still good. Just bow your knee even now. I'll have the best doctors come and fix your hands. I'll have them fix your back. I'll put you on that throne. You can rule over all these people. You can have every one of these people beaten the way you were beaten. You can do it if you want to. I'll let you be the one to do it. Just, just, just say the word. Nothing. Because it was already settled. And so now they, they lift him up. The judgment of the world comes upon him. Remember Jesus said, now is the time for judgment on the earth, and if I be lifted up, I'll draw all to myself. He didn't say men. Your Bible adds that. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all to myself. He'll draw all judgment, every bit of it to himself, if he would be lifted up. And he says he said this to signify which kind of death he would die. And so here it is, the fulfillment of the prophecy, and they lift him up, and they raise him up. And I believe part of the reason why the enemy wanted him to be killed that way was because he wanted him to be able to look out before he died and hang there for a while and look out and see all the people he was supposed to be giving his life for and see them cheer and see them hurl insults at him and see them mock him and scorn him and roll dice to figure out who gets what from his clothing. And I believe he wanted him to die slowly that way so that he would have so many opportunities to just act one time in his own self-interest so that the enemy could have him and have everyone who ever had been and ever would be. So they raise him up and they had these slots and so the cross falls down into the slot with a loud noise and all the weight of everything jars on those freshly pierced hands and feet. The enemy's just waiting. At some point he's going to do it. At some point he's going to do it. He opens his mouth to speak and all he says is, I'm thirsty. And now the enemy's got to be thinking, all right, I got him. Because thirst is a natural thing. That wasn't for the people. That was for him. He doesn't realize Jesus is doing this just to fulfill prophecy. 
But I know the enemy had to be thinking, I got him. He's thinking like a man. He's thirsty. We give him something disgusting to drink. And then, as he's coming to the end, the enemy sees him, because you know, you're hanging there, your own weight is suffocating you. And it's a struggle to breathe, never mind to speak. And he sees him, and he's growing weaker, and his breath's getting shallower, and he's thinking, any time now, and he sees him one last time, push himself up, <sighs> taking a breath. <sighs> and he's just waiting for him to say, you're not worth it. Father, kill them all. And instead, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That had to be the, the most brutal slap in the face that the enemy has ever received in his life when this man that he had done all this to took it, looked out at the people, and could only think of them rather than thinking of himself in that moment. And all he could say was, God, just don't hold this against them. But you, you don't, see, you don't know what people, and I, I don't, I'm not making light of anything that we've been through, but you can't sit here and look at this example of Jesus that Peter said was given for us to follow and then say, but you don't know what people did to me. I don't. But I know what they did to him. And I promise you, it pales in comparison. And his example was what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And at that moment, I, I think, is when the enemy realized, I'm done. See, it's at that moment when in the face of people mistreating you, when everything inside of you and everyone in the world says you have every right to act in your own interest and that they're wrong and you're right and that they have completely mistreated you and when every single person and most Christians you know would put their arm around you and stand together with you and say, I don't blame you for what you've done. It's in that moment when you respond and look at people and offer the forgiveness that Jesus offered you that the enemy is crushed. And you will never be more like Christ on this earth than when you can look in the face of those who have done you wrong and not think for yourself, but think only about them. And your concern is not for yourself, it's only for them. Forgive them, Father. Don't hold this sin against them. And then he said... Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said, it's finished. And he gave up the ghost. And he's dead. He went through every single bit of that and never once thought for himself. for the chance that you and I 
would think that his example was worth following. For the chance that one day you would see Jesus and you would understand that everything he did, he did for you. See, it's one thing to hear, for God so loved the world. It's another thing to understand that God so loved me, that God so loved you as an individual, that he allowed that to be done. And even when he looked out and saw my face sneering and screaming at him, because it was you and I that put him on the cross just as much as those people there. And he can look into eternity and see every person. And when I was there undeserving, when I was there unbelieving, when I was there he looked out, saw me, and thought, you know what, there's a day coming. Some night he's going to wander into a bathroom, strung out on drugs and thinking that his life isn't worth living, and he's going to ask me one simple question, and I'm going to answer him, and it's all going to change. not just so that one day you can go to heaven as beautiful as that promise is it's so that today this day heaven can come and live inside of you and all that he is and all that he paid for can come and take up residence inside of you and you can live a life beyond anything you've ever imagined that you can actually truly be set free not just act free i love that it says he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Not that he who knew no sin acted sinful so that we could act righteous. That's not what it says. It says he actually became sin so that you could actually become righteous. It's not an act. It's not something you have to work for. It's not a striving thing. It's not a, oh God, if I pray enough prayers, oh God, if I do enough things. It's a, you actually have become something and are living the rest of your life discovering what you've become in the moment that everything became new it happens in an instant and then you unpack and unravel and enjoy it for the rest of your life every day living your life as a new creation in christ with something actually to give something besides you don't want to go to hell when you die do you okay say this prayer that's not what he told us to give you actually have the kingdom of god inside of you you have the image of God that was lost in the garden has been restored. Jesus said that He came, the Son of Man came to seek and save not those who were lost, that which is lost. The word lost there in the original language means destroyed. He came to seek and save something that was destroyed in the garden and to restore all things. Well, how did it start? Go back to the beginning. started with a man living in relationship with God, enjoying the fruit of God's work, and enjoying the fruit of God's labor, and walking and talking and living in intimate relationship with Him, having dominion over the earth. Multiplying. And then Jesus said, I came to seek out and to save, to restore all that was destroyed. That's the promise. And when, he, when Easter Sunday came around, that first Easter, when they came to the grave, isn't it funny, isn't it curious that the first Adam who gets placed in a garden and is called to garden 
by God. The second Adam is found and everyone who sees him at that first time thinks he's a gardener. Why? Because he came to restore everything. All that was lost in the garden. Everything that was destroyed by one man's sin was made right by one man's obedience. And if the first Adam, the gardener, brought you into sin, the second Adam, the gardener, See, it could have been anything. They could have said they thought he was a soldier. They thought he was a passerby. They thought he was a mourner. They thought he was someone who came to see the tomb. But it points out in the Word, they thought he was a gardener. Why? Because it's God sprinkling clues all throughout that he really came to make all things new. And that everything that was ruined has been made new. That everything that was lost has been restored. That he's not just come so that something could be fixed. He came so that everything could be new. And he said, there's one way that all this can become new, and that's this, through death. And so, only through the reality of death can the beauty of life be seen. You realize that for, for, for something to live, something has to die. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it's alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, then it reproduces itself many times over. Why? Because the minute that you allow Him to plant you into the ground, you become something that's reproducible when you're raised to newness of life in Christ because there's actually life inside of you now. And you have something in you that's reproducible in other people. And it's the Spirit of God. And it's life forever. So I just, I want to ask this because it's Easter and I don't know everybody here. And plus because, man, I'm ready to say yes myself. But if there's anyone here who's never actually said, you know what? I want to die. That guy deserves to die. So that I can live. So that I can be crucified with him in the likeness of his death and be raised again to newness of life with him. If there's anyone here who's actually never done that, I'm not saying there's someone here who's never, you know, said, God, I don't want to go to hell. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who actually looked at their life and said, I would love to exchange what I've been living for what he died so that I could live and actually become a new creation in Christ. Listen, it's a lifelong thing, but it starts with one step, and that's coming to a place of understanding that the man who I was deserves to die so that the man that he is can be brought to life in me. If you want to do that, you can do it right now. It's as simple as coming to a place of being able to give up all that you have so that you can take on all that He gave. All it costs you is things you were never meant to have to begin with anyways. Guilt, shame, anxiety, anger, holding on to hurts and wanting people to be punished for the things that they've done wrong. Man, that stuff is toxic. It's killing you. Actually exchange that for something worth having, worth reproducing, worth giving. There's one answer. It's the same answer for Jesus. When all that stuff was placed upon him, he knew there's one way to be free from this, and that's to go and die. And he calls every man who would come after him to follow him to the cross to die so that they can follow him into newness of life and live. And you can do that right now. I don't care how many years you've been in church. Please don't let what people around you might think stop you from actually receiving what he died for you to have.
<laughs> it does, what does it matter what man thinks anyway? Honestly. Because when we stand before him on that day, it'll just be us and him, and he'll, he'll know everything anyways. Why not start by letting him know everything now? Being fully known so that you can know him fully. Scott, I just pray right now, if there's anybody in here, Father, anybody that's listening, that's never actually given up their life to receive the life of Christ, that's never come to a place. Listen to me, guys. Listen real quick. You can come to a place where when people try to talk to you, accuse you, or shame you by things you've done in the past, you can jump over on that side with them, grab pitchforks, and stick them in that person with them. Because you understand, that's not me. That guy died. I literally did that recently with somebody that wanted me to be shamed for something that I had done many, many years ago. I said, listen, I understand you hate that guy. I do too. And that's not me anymore. Because I'm actually new. I come so fully new, I can stand here with you and I can stab a pitchfork in him with you. I hated that guy. He had to die. But you got to understand something. That ain't me. That might have been me that went into the grave, but that ain't the me that came out alive and raised to newness of life with him. You can actually live that free. So just right now, don't look around because I just don't want anybody to not do this because they're afraid. And, and we're not, not because it's Easter, man. We, we do this all the time. It's an invitation to actually step into new life with him, to be born again. If you want that and you say, you know what, I've been in church. or I don't, It doesn't matter like what your excuse or what your reason would be. If you say, I've never actually come to a place of saying something has to die and you want to actually give your life and let the resurrected power of Christ raise you to newness of life, you can come do that right now. Just raise your hand up right where you are, and we're going to pray that together. Yeah, listen, if you've got your hand raised, listen, if you've got your hand raised, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I know, I know for a fact right now the enemy's trying to whisper in your ear just like he was whispering in Jesus. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? Listen to me. Nothing compares to what God's about to say to you, so don't even listen to that anyways. If you have your hand raised, just stand right where you are, please. Please don't be ashamed to just stand up right where you are. I promise you, man. We're all family in here. Everyone is so stoked that you're doing this. You, you, you can't even believe it. And I just want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you just to walk up here up front. And the reason we're doing that is because I honestly believe that when you step in, you're walking up to die. You're like Jesus, carrying that cross, understanding all this is on me, and there's only one way to be free, and that's for me to actually go and die. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Listen to me. All you're doing right now is you're saying, the me that was born the first time into Adam was such a mess. And he needs to die so that the me born again, a new creation in Christ, can be raised to newness of life just like Jesus was. And that everything that was can pass away and truly all things can be made new. All things, not some things, not everything but this one thing, not most things, not just this, that. I'm saying everything, all things become new. 
If any man is in Christ, he is therefore now a new creation. Behold, the old is past, and all things have become new. If we could just get a woman to come up with the women and a man to come up with the men, and we're just going to pray together. Listen, they're going to lay their hands on you because we believe there's power in the laying on of hands. And we're just going to agree with you that the old you is about to die and the new new you is being raised to life. And we're getting a baptismal so that we can baptize you right after this stuff. But right now we can't, so we're going to do it as soon as we can. So this is how it is. I'm not going to pray a prayer and ask you to repeat after me. Because I don't want the cry of my heart to be what comes out of your mouth. I'm just going to ask you in your own words to cry out to Him and to surrender your life and to ask Him for the life that Jesus died for you to have. God, I thank You for that. I thank You right now. Just open your mouth and just ask Him. Yeah, Father, we thank You so much, God. God, I just ask that every single person that's hearing my voice right now, God, even if there was someone who was too timid to raise their hand or was too worried about what people around them might think or what people might say, I pray right now, God, if their hearts turn towards You, that You truly are doing what You said You would do, that everything old is passing away and everything is becoming new. In Jesus' name, I pray that You would come, God, and fill them with Your Holy Spirit. Peter said that if You would repent, for the forgiveness of sins that you and be baptized, that you would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So right now, God, we just ask your Holy Spirit to come and bring new life. God, to these people who right now are in the grave, that like on the third day with Jesus, that that Spirit of God, that breath of God would come and fill them with new life, that they would step forth out of the tomb, a brand new creation, never to answer for the things of the past and only to look to the things ahead forgetting what lies behind and pressing ahead towards the mark of the high calling. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that they're no longer the man that they were, that they're now a new creation in Christ. They're no longer the woman they were, they're a new creation in Christ. And that all things have passed away and truly all things have become new. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for sealing it through your Holy Spirit in them right now in Jesus' mighty name that everything that's said today would be sealed by Your Spirit, that every promise of yes and amen would be poured out into their hearts. And we thank You for that. We give You praise. We give You glory. We give You honor. In Jesus' name, amen.